Welcome to Read By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, Jeff Dyer reads two selections in conversation from D.H. Lawrence and Raymond Williams. To learn more from Dyer about his choices, check out the episode description. And now, read by Jeff Dyer. Hello, my name is Jeff Dyer, and I'm going to read two pieces. Uh, They're both about place. The first is by D.H. Lawrence. It's the start of his essay, Taos, first published in 1923. The Indians say Taos is the heart of the world, their world, maybe. Some places seem temporary on the face of the earth, San Francisco, for example. Some places seem final. They have a true nodality. I never felt that so powerfully as years ago in London. The intense, powerful nodality of that great heart of the world. And during the war, that heart for me broke. So it is. Places can lose their living nodality. Rome, to me, has lost hers. In Venice, one feels the magic of the glamorous old node that once united east and west, but it is the beauty of an afterlife. Taos Pueblo still retains its old nodality, not like a great city, but, in its way, like one of the monasteries of Europe. You cannot come upon the ruins of the old great monasteries of England, beside their waters, in some lovely valley, now remote, without feeling that here is one of the choice spots of the earth where the spirit dwelt. To me, it is so important to remember that when Rome collapsed, when the great Roman Empire fell into smoking ruins and bears roamed in the streets of Lyon and wolves howled in the deserted streets of Rome and Europe really was a dark ruin, then it was not in castles or manors or cottages that life remained vivid. Then those whose souls were still alive withdrew together and gradually built monasteries and these monasteries and convents Little communities of quiet labour and courage, isolated, helpless, and yet never overcome in a world flooded with devastation, these alone kept the human spirit from disintegration, from going quite dark in the dark ages. These men made the church, which again made Europe, inspiring the martial faith of the Middle Ages. Taos Pueblo affects me rather like one of the old monasteries. When you get there, you feel something final. There is an arrival. The nodality still holds good. That was D.H. Lawrence, the start of his essay on Taos. The second piece is from The Country and the City by Raymond Williams, published in 1973, so 50 years after Lawrence. This is from the section where... Um, Williams discusses the English country houses and we're going to pick the argument up where he's uh, conceded uh, the great beauty of these places. But consider directly their social effect. Some of them had been there for centuries, visible triumphs over the ruin and labour of others. But the extraordinary phase of extension rebuilding and enlarging, which occurred in the 18th century, represents a spectacular increase in the rate of exploitation. 
a good deal of it, of course, the profit of trade and of colonial exploitation. Much of it, however, the higher surplus value of a new and more efficient mode of production. It's fashionable to admire these extraordinarily numerous houses, the extended manors, the neoclassical mansions that lie so close in rural Britain. People still pass from village to village, guidebook in hand, to see the next and yet the next example, to look at the stones and the furniture, but stand at any point and look at that land. Look at what those fields, those streams, those woods, even today, produce. Think it through as labour, and see how long and systematic the exploitation and seizure must have been to rear that many houses on that scale. See, by contrast, what any ancient isolated farm in uncounted generations of labour has managed to become by the efforts of any single real family, however prolonged. And then turn and look at what these other families, these systematic owners, have accumulated and arrogantly declared. It isn't only that you know, looking at the land and then at the house, how much robbery and fraud there must have been for so long to produce that degree of disparity, that barbarous disproportion of scale. The working farms and cottages are so small beside them. What men really raise, by their own efforts, or by such portion as is left to them in the ordinary scale of human achievement. What these great houses do is to break the scale by an act of will corresponding to their real and systematic exploitation of others. For look at the sights, the facades, the defining avenues and walls, the great iron gates and the guardian lodges. These were chosen for more than the effect from the inside out. Where so many admirers, too many of them writers, have stood and shared the view, finding its prospect delightful. They were chosen also, you now see, for the other effect, from the outside looking in. A visible stamping of power, of displayed wealth and command, a social disproportion which was meant to impress and overawe. Much of the real profit of a more modern agriculture went not into productive investment, but into that explicit social declaration, a mutually competitive but still uniform exposition at every turn of an established and commanding class power. To stand in that shadow, even today, is to know what many generations of countrymen bitterly learned and were consciously taught that these were the families, this the shape of the society. Will you then think of community? You will see modern community only in the welcome signs of some partial reclamation. The houses return to some general use as a hospital or agricultural college. But you're just as likely to see the old kinds of power still declared in the surviving exploiters and in their modern relations, the corporation country house, the industrial seat, the ruling class school. Physically, they are there, the explicit forms of the long class society. 
but turn for a moment elsewhere, to the villages that escaped their immediate presence, to the edges, the old commons still preserved in place names, to the hamlets where control was remote. It can make some difference, as you go about every day, to be out of sight of that explicit command. And this is so, I do not doubt, in many surviving precarious communities, the dispersed settlements of the West or some of the close villages of the East and Midlands, where no immediate house has so outgrown its neighbours that it has visibly altered the scale. It makes a real difference that, in day-to-day -day relations, those other people and their commanding statements in stone are absent, or at least some welcome distance away. Nine Two Wise Read By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Underberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to Nine Two Wise Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, please visit 92y.org/helpnow to donate to support Nine Two Y and our new digital programming. Thank you, and thank you for listening. Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redby.